Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right. I'm going to do this. But I'm not happy about it. Boo. Yeah. I'm in that one of those moods, folks. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with it. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that apparently produces more wine than Walla Walla. The Pack Filler Podcast. What am I meaning by wine? Well, I'll tell you. Hi everybody, I'm Pat Bolger in the Pat... Pack Filler in the Pat Filler. I'm going to just change it to the Pat Filler Podcast. No, Pack Filler Podcast. <sighs> Thanks for the reviews, you guys. You guys have been really cool about it. I've been getting reviews. I've been getting people sending me emails, all kinds of stuff like that. It's like, it's like you care. Now, I know you don't, though. <laughs> but keep them coming, you guys. Keep them coming on to iTunes. Uh, keep sending me notes and things like that. It's nice to know that I'm not just some old jackass sitting in his basement talking into a microphone for nobody. But apparently I'm whining a bit too much about personal issues. That was one of the most recent ones I got. <laughs> Tough shit. It's my show. Besides you guys, I am in rare grumpy mood today. I'm in a truly crap state of mind right now. I am looking. I am looking at a brand new Wahoo Kicker Smart Trainer right now. Not the one that you take your wheel off. The one that you actually have to put your wheel into it. That one's like a grand. That one's really expensive, so I didn't buy that one. But um, but I'm looking at it right now, and I just got it set up yesterday. I, I'm so excited about it and all this kind of stuff. And due to lower back issues, 
I can't even tie my shoes right now. You guys, my shoes are untied right now. I can't reach down to tie my shoes. And my wife and kid are out on a trip. They went to a soccer game this weekend, and I couldn't go because I can't sit in a car for 10 hours to drive. And um, I did something to my lower back. You know that I was talking about last week about my no-no area, and now it's my lower back. <laughs> I don't think they're related, but I'm busting my mind to try and figure out what I did this past week to cause this extreme pain in my lower back. I've got one of those goofy old man icy hot patches. They're not icy patches. Salon paws on my back. I am sitting rigidly upright. And um, it's been a nightmare for the last two days. And I can't ride my new trainer. You guys, and I'm going to say something here. I can't even ride the tour of Sufferlandria. There. I said it. For the first time ever, I can't ride it. It started this weekend. Here we are two days into it, and I can't get on the bike. I got on it yesterday to try and um, just set. The, the trainer, I guess you're supposed to do a kind of a spin down thing to get everything set. And so I got up to a specific speed on the on it, just put my cycling shoes on and jumped on the bike in my jeans and did that and then got off and getting my leg over the top tube. <laughs> I almost wish the show was video because you guys probably would have laughed at me trying to get my leg over the top tube. And the sounds I was making... It, It's frustrating. All what I need to know too is about the Sufferland Tour Sufferlandria. Does my entry still get to go into the drawing? You know, do am I still eligible? Nobody's going to answer me that. And I don't even know why I'm pausing. I'm like Dora the Explorer staring at the TV. Where's the old man? You're looking at him. You do. Oh, oh man, my health is really sick. Jokes. Uh, get it? Sick jokes with me and i don't know I, I can't figure it out i feel like an old fat sack of shit and it's been three days that this has been going on and i keep thinking okay i probably did something you know you know you, you're the discs in your back i probably herniated one of those doing something but i can't think of what it was so here we are three weeks into my new training season no, four, no, five, five, sorry, five weeks, and I've ridden, trained for two of those weeks. I'm going on three weeks of off-the-bike time because I thought I needed to rest my no-no area, and now I need to rest my back because I can't sit up, let alone walk across the room. Shit! It's very frustrating, you guys. Can you feel my pain? Or at least can you just laugh? in my expense. Anyway, let's thank some sponsors, shall we? Perfect timing. Perfect timing. Let's say, hey, let's bring corporate sponsors into this. No, they're not really huge corporate sponsors, but there's some who've been with me and some new ones. And I've got a new one for you uh, probably next week. We'll, we'll mention those and get their link up on the site. Of course, thanks to the Sufferfest, Tour of Sufferlandria is underway. Get out there and keep going if you're doing it. If you have no idea what that is about, you're a little late to the table, to the party, but um, check it out. I've, I've done a whole bunch of stuff for the, for the Sufferfest over the years. I've been, uh, I've been involved with their, 
their group and uh, done the knighthood and we've done some I had done some episodes in regards to the tour of Sufferlandria pretty much every year and so go back if you want to go back into the archives and check out some of those it'll tell you about what's going on and and some of the people who've been involved with it great group and great uh, great thing that they're doing and everything is going once again to help Parkinson's research for the Davis Finney Foundation so all the money is going to that pretty cool deal um, if you're involved in the Sufferfest uh, tour of Suffer, Sufferlandria keep going you guys keep it up there's one stage in particular that is just absolutely brutal, and you guys know what it is. Um, so keep going, you guys. Stay strong. Ride in my name. Go out there and hurt for the pat. Shit. Um, thanks to Road Idea. Uh, Road Idea. Road ID, of course. Uh, link on, All these are links on the website. Click on, them, click on them before you go buy something. Helps me out just a little bit there. Um, and also thanks to our newest sponsor, Man Can, personal sized keg style growler that fits in your fridge, travels anywhere. Keep your beer brewery fresh for the life of the beer. Oh baby, like a keg, it is stainless steel and can be pressurized with a tap system. You guys, I'm serious. If you buy a growler for the beer, if you have ever done that before, you know what, what the awesomeness of that entire thing is if you're like me and have very few friends you don't want to sit by one because i can't drink the whole thing in one sitting but this has one of the tap systems a little tiny guy you know the the co2 cartridges we use for for well for those of you unlike me who i carry a fucking pump because i don't need co2 but those little things and um it'll Tap the growler and keep the beer fresh for as long as it's in that bottle. It's nice. Remember, it's not a keg. It's not a growler. It's a man can. Thanks, you guys, uh, for being involved. Also, got to say thanks to my friend Glenn over at Elephant Bikes, who is now a retailer of Wahoo Trainers. Um, elephantbikes.com. Go check them out. And um, this is where I got this one. So I'm, I'm really excited to try this thing out. Just the short amount of time I got on it. thing is whisper quiet. It's really cool. And I'm not even being paid by the Wahoo people. Um, it's cool. It's a cool trainer. I can't wait to get on Zwift and get on it or Trainer Road and get on it or any of those things where it will adjust now. If I'm riding on Zwift and go to come to a climb, it'll make it harder. I hear it's a lot harder. So... I'm looking forward to trying that out. I'll give you guys a review of it. Since they're not paying me, I can be brutally honest. All right. So, in case you didn't know, I am recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. For those of you not in the States, I guess I should say congratulations. This is a day that more or less equals Christmas in terms of radical believers and followers. Imagine, if you will, everybody over the pond, we Americans sitting on our asses. I know. Hard to imagine, right? Eating a loads of processed fat. I know, hard to imagine. And screaming. I know, hard to imagine. At But this time it's a TV over a game that moves slightly slower than baseball. Americans love their football, or throwball, as I like to call it. And this is the day. This is the biggest day. I read somewhere in statistics that um, more domestic abuse happens today after the game is over than um, many other days throughout the year. That could be complete bullshit, but it makes a lot of fun to talk about because, you know, you think about the average, that stereotypical American football fan, and, and this is that day. And don't get me wrong, I am a complete hypocrite. I will watch it. I will drink beer. I guess having my back out kind of pulls the entire ensemble together. Imagine me hunched over waddling to the fridge for more ranch dip. <laughs> I don't really care about either of the teams either. To be honest, I, I you know, I, I watch 
professional football out of um, more or less patriotic duty. Um, duty, but I'm not. I'm not very. I'm not a rabid fanatical throwball fan. Um, and I know that some of you are yelling at me for saying that it was slow, and but it it, it, it there's a lot of standing around. Let's be honest. There are bursts of energy and then a lot of standing around waiting for things to happen. We have, isn't it, four 15-minute quarters, right? And it takes three hours. Okay, I can't say my sport's any faster. You know, for all of us cycling fanatics, ever watched a, one of those long rolling stages about halfway through the Tour de France? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. About as much fun as uh, excitement as watching paint dry. A lot of those stages I'll watch early in the morning live because I know that I can just kind of sleep through it. And then when Phil gets excited, his voice goes up. And when Paul gets excited, his voice gets kind of louder a little bit. And so that wakes me up, shakes me out of it, and I know it's time to watch something. Um, so here it is, you know, the uh, Tour de France of football. So in true essence of the Pack Filler podcast, ranting, criticizing nature, I'm going to give you my top five comparisons of football and cycling. Here you go. My gift to you on Super Bowl Sunday, a list. Comparing football and cycling. Let's look at this honestly because here I'm, 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 you think I'm, I'm feeling holier than thou and I'm saying my sport is better, but it's not. Let's look at number one. They both require far too much information. Think about it. To get to the concept of stage racing, many people really need to spend a good amount of time understanding the concept, right? Uh, have you ever tried to explain the Tour de France to a newbie? Yeah. You can see the glazing of their eyes before even getting to the jersey classifications. <laughs> Wait, you mean they're not racing all the way through? They start every day. It's a different race. So the guy who won today, is he winning? Well, not really. It depends. Think about it. Football's the same deal. All the rules, the points, and stats needed to get up to speed. Most Americans take this for granted that they understand the sport due to years of childhood Sundays sitting next to your fathers, you know, mimicking their grunts and false heart attacks and things like that. And the kids just slowly pretend they know what's going on and then slowly figure it out because years and years and years of it's like our it's like evolution in the American culture. And so it becomes a natural part of the child's upbringing. Same thing with cycling. For those of you overseas, you're probably thinking football. I don't understand it. Why do they need so many pads? Rugby players do it all without the pads. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And we all probably have the same head injuries when they come out of the sport later on. So there's number one. Number two, the characters. Oh, my God, the characters. Let's be honest. Sports are soap operas for men to not feel ashamed about. Admit it. You hate some of the guys out there. You love some of the others. You don't even know which sport I'm talking about right now. I there are pro cyclists I can't stand. There are pro cyclists I love. I cheer, I root against certain people, and I root for certain people. I think some guy might be a complete asshole. Probably is the nicest guy in the world. From what it sounds like, the Carolina Panther quarterback Cam Newton is simply a slightly better spoken Mark Cavendish. He doesn't mumble as much, but he seems kind of like a douche to me. 
So much for me getting Mark Cavendish on the show. The characters. It's the important part of the game. I'm rooting for Denver today just simply because I want Peyton Manning to go out on a high note. Do I know him personally? No, I don't. Chicken parm, it tastes so good. Number three, the clothing. Oh, God, the clothing. As someone within driving distance of Seattle, I have to say this one is absolutely insane. If I see another 12th man jersey, I'm going to vomit. People are willing to dress in the most insane costumes on football days. Especially the women. Women, 12th, uh, Seattle Seahawks, female fans around here are... I know this may sound completely sexist, and I apologize if it is. But Lycra is a privilege, not a right. I would not go out wearing some of the stuff that some of these ladies are wearing. And I'm a, I'm a well, I'm reaching dad bod kind of a guy. <laughs> Look in a mirror, ladies, please. But cyclists are just as bad. Chamois time is not training time. Get your shorts off immediately after the ride, please. I could just, going to events and announcing events, I can just imagine the fungus growing in your salt-stained sleeveless tri-suit when that third hour passes after you finish the event. Ew. And let's be honest, a cycling kit only looks cool on a bike. It only looks cool on a bike. And there are some kits out there that are horrid, even on a bike. Speaking of which, if you like the new pack filler kit, we're going to be placing an order together really soon. <laughs> and I'm not going to charge any extra for it, but oh God, I put in a shameless pug, plug there. Shameless pug. What am I at? Number four? Number four, the fans. The rabid fans. Think about it here. Both sports. A drunk Oakland Raiders fan on one hand, and in this corner, a drunk Belgian Classics fan. Only thing difference is the Belgians' weapons might be real. And don't even get me started about the devil or uh, the people in the Tour of California or all those types of things. The guy in the, in the Borat swimming suit that goes over his shoulders. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All right? Football fans, you're just as bad. Number five, the final of my list. Number five, comparing football and cycling. The issue... You know, I had to say it, of doping. Except football players are getting away with it. Either that or Peyton Manning's wife is about to try out for the Olympic deadlifting team. Cyclists are getting nailed to the wall, getting bad stigmas. Football players, they're not getting nailed to the wall. I, I don't even think this Peyton Manning thing is going to happen. I think it will go away. I think it will enter the... Don't even get me started. And you know what? I don't want to give away some of the topics that are on the interview for today anyway, because I've got a great interview for the show today. Ned Overend is on the show today. I had an opportunity to speak with Ned earlier in the week. And this, as you might guess, is a special one for me. We started our off-road interviews with Tinker Juarez, uh, what was that, a couple weeks ago. Great talking to him. And now we've got Ned. Talk about a cool guy and an extremely humble nature for a guy who has done so much in a career. 
Without further ado, you guys, let's do our kind of 10 questions with Ned Overend. All right, for all my listeners out here, here's a little word association game, okay? If you've never taken a psychology class, I'll, I'll give you the brief description. I say a word, you reply the first word that pops into your head, okay? This is for our listeners out here, not, not necessarily the guests. I don't want to ruin this surprise, okay? Let's go easy. The first one would be light, you would say dark. First one I would say, second one I'd say high, you would say low. Now I'm going to get tough. If I was to say Norba, what would you say? If I was to say mountain bike legend, what would you say? Well, if you recognize the third, you should have been close to guessing today's guest. If you've uh, been involved since the word Norba was used, well, then darn it, you definitely know. From his first years with Schwinn in 1983 to his amazing career garnering four world championship wins, 10 national championship wins, if you add them all up, one could say that this is definitely one of the most highly decorated athletes to ever straddle a top tube. Let's welcome to the show the one and only Ned Overend. How are you, man? Good, Patrick. Good. Good. Good to be here. Well, first of all, let me say how cool it is to have you on the show and, and give a little backstory. I'm going to give a little backstory to the listeners. When I sent you an email, I kind of used a, a pretty far off story from my junior years to show, you know, that my legitimacy, maybe, I don't know, maybe that I, you know, I'm trying to live my glory days. But not only did you recognize the story, you described it more in detail for it. And so I just, that, that's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, well, it's good. I tell you, I've been racing so long <laughs> that I travel, and I've traveled to so many different kinds of races and stuff that uh, sometimes when someone says something like you did about the national road championships in Boise, <laughs> Idaho, which I had totally forgotten about, it stimulated the memory of the of that race and that was a hard day as i remember it was a hot day it was brutal <laughs> well i gotta say you know and, and speaking of that man you've been doing this to yourself for quite a while can i ask um it, what keeps you going man is there some f fountain of youth on a world cup course that i don't know about what's going on i don't know i think you know i get asked that a lot obviously i've been asked that literally for the last maybe 25 years <laughs> and i still don't there's no specific answer to it. I, I think I have a unique set of circumstances here and that uh, I've ridden for specialized for a long time, since 1988. Yeah. And uh, my job description is not to race bicycles. It is to, you know, work in PR and sports marketing and product development. But all of those things, you know, if you race bikes, it it kind of serves all of those purposes, especially product development. So uh, basically, whenever I go to a race, uh, I just build specialized for it, and there's no pressure necessarily. And that, that's a real key to being able to race for a long time is not having to have too much pressure. Because the guys who have to do it for a living, that's a hard job. And uh, mm -hmm. every year, every race they do, all the preparation and everything, it's, it's a ton of stress. And I've been able to race really without having that much stress. Well, okay, so now let's it, take me back. My research says it, you, you officially turned pro or, or started that level in 1983. Um, what is, if, if you had to do a short net over an origin story, what, just to get our listeners up to speed, what brought you to that point? Well, uh, real quickly, I ran <laughs> cross-country in high school. And, and was pretty good at it. Had a great coach, had a great team, really enjoyed it. It was a great introduction into endurance sports. 
and uh, also ran in, in junior college at College of the Redwoods and uh, College of Marin. And then I uh, wasn't thinking about being a professional athlete at that time. I had moved to Colorado after going to San Diego State, and uh, I started doing some mountain runs. And I was doing pretty well in mountain running. I was second in Pikes Peak Marathon yeah. twice in a row, and I, I won a bunch of mountain runs. So I was excited about that. But then, again, it, it wasn't a professional sport. You couldn't support yourself doing it. But I got injured, like all runners will, yeah. and I turned to the bicycle to stay in shape and started doing some local races. And there's, there's a big event local here called the Iron Horse Classic. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I tell you, that, that's why promoters are so important, because they get people into the sport, just seeing the event. But uh, that's kind of what happened to me. You know, I saw the event, and I thought, I'm going to train for that. And I did well at it, and... Uh, Started doing some road racing and, and moved up the ranks pretty quickly. And then I was working as a mechanic, and then I thought, I'm going to work at the bike shop and try and focus on being a professional athlete. And uh -huh. right about that time is when mountain bikes started uh, coming on the market, you know, around 83, yeah. and it was just uh, perfect timing. So, you know, I liked mountain bikes because it was an individual sport, not so much of a team sport. Okay. And you also didn't have to... Uh, travel as much as it did for road racing you know there's a ton it was like one stage race after another and uh that didn't appeal to me that much either i like to focus on you know one specific event and not necessarily week-long events anyway that's kind of how it started so it I, I do recall that and there was some triathlon kind of blood in there somewhere wasn't there well there is you know when i uh that came I in later did, when i was going to san diego state I was taking a rock climbing class in Mexico, you know, through a, a local, uh, I think it was through San Diego State, they had a rock climbing class. I met Bob Babbitt, who uh, turned out to be, you know, into uh, running, and we rented a house together in San Diego. But he went on to kind of discover triathlon, and he talked me into doing the Ironman in 1980. And that was, uh, I wasn't even a cyclist at the time. So, uh, I was, a, I was a runner and, but by the time I got to the run and that Ironman, I wasn't a runner anymore. <laughs> I was so worn out, but, but so, so we did it kind of as an experiment and, uh, you know, we finished it. That was the last one on Oahu. So it has some real early history in, uh, in triathlon. And then I took it up later in, uh, my career. After I retired from mountain biking, I, oh, yeah. I did Xterra for a number of years, starting in '96. Yeah, and and actually crushed Xterra. You didn't just do Xterra. I mean, you're you're very humble, but <laughs> it was it was a lot more than that. So when when Norba began at at those early stages, when it was really just kind of become blossoming as as a sport um, within itself. You being one of the, some of the first pros to participate in that, what was that scene like at the time? Uh, obviously, it grew much more intensity over the years, but um, w was it relaxed? Was it? Did anybody have any idea where it was going to be headed? I guess. Well, you know, it was relaxed. It was exciting because you know everybody kind of uh, the sport was growing quickly. You know, it was in the early days of WTB and yeah. Sun Tour, and then Shimano jumped in and. And uh, Gary Fisher and and 
Tom Ritchie, you know, yeah. they, they were very involved, those early guys. And Specialized came a little bit after that. But when I got in it, um, Schwinn had just jumped in it. So I was first, you know, I was working at a Schwinn bike shop. So I called Schwinn and, and got a little sponsorship from them. But it was pretty exciting because we, we all felt it was really going to grow to be a big deal. Really? Just because it was so much fun. And, you know, there, there was other cyclists, maybe cyclocrossers and road racers, they were kind of poo-pooing it, thinking it was going to be a fad. But the guys who were involved with it knew how exciting it was to be able to ride off-road on those, you know, with fat tire bikes. So, and it was relaxed, but the, the competition was pretty fierce at the same time. You know, guys like Joe Murray, I've got a, a record of um, an early race that happened at uh, – uh, outside of Boulder, the national championships. And there's guys in it like Dale Stetna and uh, let's see who else. Which, Andy Hampson. So, so there are some good competitors in there. There's a bunch of road racers that would, would compete in these different races and they were already racing at a high level. Oh yeah. Well, you know, we got a zero winner in there. Dale with a, with a huge history on the road, obviously. So, now to have, especially to have some roads think, roadies thinking it's kind of that you know it's a flash in the pan of stuff. Uh, to all of a sudden take it just not too many years later, we have to admit to the first world championships and to have been the winner of the first mountain bike world championships. I can only imagine was a pretty darn amazing experience. It was pretty cool, and and especially because it was in in Colorado. Yeah, just you know north of my hometown of Durango at the Purgatory Ski Resort. And uh, it was a big deal in 1990. At the time, you know, I was, uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as just kind of feel relief at having won it because I've been racing mountain bikes since, since 83. Yeah. So, it's so seven you know, years. I'd already had like seven years of mountain bike racing and I'd won some big races. I'd won, you know, four world championships. I think I won mammoth a couple of times. That was the U S world championships. Okay. And then they would have a world championships it, uh, in Europe at the same time. So the UCI not recognizing the sport, it enabled people to claim they were the world championships. Oh. So I'd won, you know, a lot of nationals and a lot of world titles before the UCI. So that first one was really important to, for me to kind of put my stamp on it. You know, if you will, or at least prove that, uh, you know, I was worthy of a world championship title. Well, it brought some huge things to the sport at that time, especially in the States here. I remember everything was just, those were what I almost consider the, the, the true Camelot. And I don't mean to sound overly romantic of the, of the time. Do you have a lot of people you competed against over those years? Um, are there any one or two that you consider to be, have been your main rivals, Tom? Frischnick, uh, Tomac, Tinker, any of those kind of guys? Well, you, li you listed a number of them right there, but I would say Tomac and I had some classic battles against each other. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I got in the sport before him and, and had won a couple national titles, and he got in, he was about 18 years old, came from BMX, and uh, turned out the guy had a, a big motor, you know, he was, he was a good endurance athlete on top of having, you know, an incredible bike handling abilities. And uh, when he got in the sport, it raised the level. It raised the bar because it wasn't just good to be, uh, it wasn't enough to be able to go uphill fast 
and downhill pretty consistently. If you were going to hang with Tomac, you had to go downhill really fast. Yeah. You had to push the limits on the descents and, uh, and be a good climber as well. So it was pretty cool, actually, when he came in. And he had such a flashy style. He brought a lot of attention to the sport. Oh, yeah. And then inter- internationally, for sure, Thomas Frischneck, who I, I consider to be one of the best of all time at uh, mountain bike racing. You know, he, he went on to win so many uh, World Cup titles and individual World Cups that uh, on so many different kinds of courses. But we had some great battles uh, going first and second in a bunch of World Cups. And I was first and he was second at the World Championships in the U.S. here, yeah. that first world in 1990. And then at the 91 Worlds in Italy the following year, Tomac was first, Frischneck was second, and I was third. So we had some great battles. What's the relationship like with those guys now? Are you still in touch? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, it's good. I, I see him. Uh, God, I saw Thomas Frischneck at the Sea Otter. We went for a ride together. And then I'll see him at an occasional, you know, I, I'll go to the World Championships and support a, the specialized team. And, uh, Thomas is always always there because he he uh, coaches and is the owner of the Scott team oh. that uh, best mountain biker in the world rides for Nino Scherter. Yeah, yeah. So he runs that team, and then Tomac. I don't see him at as many mountain bike races. I'll tend to see him at uh, you know more locally. He he lives an hour east of here in Cortez. Okay. Actually, it's west, an hour west of Durango. Wow. In Cortez. Okay. So from 86 to 92, you won all but one national championship. Um, that is what we could definitely classify as some form of domination. Um, do you have anything you would credit to over those years? Was it your training methods were different? Was it luck? Was it a skill you had? Was the, Were the courses just right? I mean, what, what do you credit for it? That's pretty impressive. Well, that, that's, I was consistent, and I credited to a few things. In the beginning... You know, those, some of those races were one-day nationals, which would be at the end of the year. And then some of those uh, national titles, you know, they, they would go back and forth. They, series. For some of those years, they, yeah, the winner of the series was the national champion. And then some, sometimes they would go back to how it is in current times, which is it's a one-day national championship. But uh, I came from a mechanical background. And being able to set up your bike and fix your bike if something went wrong on the trail in the early days was really important because you had to, uh, you had to be, you couldn't get any outside support. So you had to be able to fix your bike if something happened in the race. But even more importantly is knowing in training when you're riding the bike, how to set it up properly so that it would last. And that was important if it's a point series, right? Cause you don't, uh, 
You have to add up all the parts together. The other thing I think that really helped me is that I was strong at the end of the season. And one of the reasons I was strong in the end of the season is because in the uh, winter, living in Durango, I would switch and get off the bike. I'd do some Nordic skiing. I actually just came came down from the golf course where I was Nordic skiing just uh, earlier today. But I would Nordic ski. I would run on snowpack trails. I would hit the gym. But I would actually take some time off the bike. And uh, that enabled me. I would come into the season slow in March and April, but I would build throughout the summer. And I was going really well usually in August and September when some of the biggest races were. So that always helped as far as clinching the national title. Do you still think that's something that that riders should be doing that that off the, getting off the bike? I hear a lot more of cases of people just you know, especially dealing with juniors and, and coaching juniors myself. Um, it it almost seems like a season never ends. Yeah, if well, you know what I mean, getting off the bike probably not getting off it as much as I used to. Now that I'm old, <laughs> I don't like to get out of shape. So, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily get out of shape so much then, but. And I don't even like to spend that much time off the bike because, you know, there's a lot of muscle memory, Yeah. you know, bike-specific muscles. So what I do, uh, you know, if it's wintertime here, we have a lot of snow and it's pretty cold here right now. But with fat bikes, I'll, I'll tend to ski three or four times a week and or fat bike three or four times a week. So, uh, but it's different, you know. It, it's, it's taking a break from your regular mountain biking season. And it's definitely important to build in recovery within the season so uh and for sure juniors are notorious for pushing themselves too hard especially when they're young and they're developing and and overtraining and stuff that that's where it's important for juniors to have some good guidance and for their coaches to realize that uh they need to break in or plan plenty of rest in their schedule in your opinion, since the this let's be honest, the sport's true inception, um, what good or bad changes have you seen um, from when you were racing primarily up until now? I've, I I remember ta- I t- I spoke with Tinker a couple while a couple couple weeks back talking about the fact that courses are shorter and yeah. almost like a circuit race. I mean, do you see those changes, and and what changes do you see that happen that are good and what are bad? Um, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them good or bad, you know, okay. but they're, they're definitely different. Yeah. And, uh, what I think those changes were necessary. They're not changes that necessarily, uh, would suit me as much. We used to race for as long as three hours sometimes at Mammoth. And, uh, in that race, you know, there'd be long laps, long climbs, and they wouldn't necessarily, they don't suit an audience, right? They don't suit. TV and they don't, uh, they're not very good for spectators. And that's one of the reasons that they shortened cross country racing. And, and now they recommend, you know, I think that the time recommendation is like an hour and 20 to an hour and 40 minutes for, for cross country. And, and if it's close to an hour and 20, I mean, that's similar to a cyclocross race. Yeah. That's kind of an explosive race for an hour where people are putting out a lot more power. So it's more exciting to watch, and, you know, the World Cups are televised. You're not really getting any televised uh, mountain bike races in the U.S. But the reason it's not so much bad is because we have a ton of longer races still. You know, we have marathons, which are 50 miles. We have, 
you know, ultra marathons, which are 100 miles, 24-hour races, enduro races. So, so the sport has branched out into all the different kinds of racing. And cross-country, like we used to do it back in the day with, with Tinker and Tomac and stuff, is different. But there are still a lot of events that are still similar to that. Okay. That, that, that does make sense, you know, especially with a lot of those longer distance format things out there this year. Um, personally, I, I got into Leadville my first time this next upcoming year, and I'm, it's, it's a whole new ball of wax, that, that style of just going out and suffering for an extreme amount of time. Yeah, and Leadville especially because you have the altitude. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure, that's that's a whole <laughs> oh. different ingredient there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, I I I don't. I always like to bring this up, but I, you know, with somebody with your with your career and things you've you've had to deal with, um, and and it always seems to come up when I when we talk about the sport, just because it's a tainted end of our sport. Has has doping been something that um, not personally you've had to deal with, but you've come across the issue either personally in this in this in the circuit of Norba, it doesn't seem to be something that is very heavily in mountain biking, or at least it wasn't at that time. Well, no, it definitely was, was, uh, there's definitely been a, a number of mountain bike athletes who have tested positive. And a lot of it was found after the fact, you know, whether, yeah. uh, Christophe Dupuy, Miguel Martinez, Jerome Chiodi, who admitted it. So, and these, I'm just naming guys that, yeah. you know, in fact have, after the fact, admitted it or been found out to have been cheating. But, uh, and no doubt, like anything, there there was many more in there. For instance, in '94, uh, I think I won two or three World Cups. Uh, Tinker won one. Tomac won one. Maybe, actually, I think it may have been '93. Literally the next year, uh, it was hard for any of us to even get in the top 10. Wow. I mean, that, that's how fast it kind of switched over. And it was, uh, you know, there were still great athletes in there getting, getting on the podium and, and I think occasionally winning some World Cups. But uh, for sure, you could, you could see it had changed. And it, it was the influence of EPO on the road scene and then the people on the roadside influencing mountain bikes i think but uh anyway so that's uh so you were you would you would experience i feel really fortunate you know that i had won all those titles you know before that point i think it was it was a very clean sport up to the you know somewhere in the in the early to mid 90s it it started becoming tainted by EPL. Well, yeah, I mean, I had spoken to Andy Hampson a long, quite a long time ago in the early days of this show, and he said there was there was one season you would be just doing great, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, like you said, um, riders you'd never even seen before are now they're on the tops, riding on the tops, just relaxed, and you're barely able to hold on to the field. It was that big of a transition. Yeah, yeah, wow. the change was dramatic, and we had people in mountain biking who who literally were maybe hovering around the top 10, you know, for years, and then all of a sudden they were winning events. Wow, okay. So, uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to go back and start naming names. Absolutely things, not. Because you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't discovered, you know, those guys actually never tested positive yeah. some of them. But, but again, it's, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I wasn't young and getting into the sport at that yeah. time because that would have been really discouraging and potentially, you know, you may have thought that, 
cheating is the only way to compete. Absolutely. And, and you know, and I hate to, I, honestly, I hate to bring it up in a lot of cases because it's here we're trying to shake this stigma. Um, associated with the sport and um, here we think we're about to get out of the get our heads above water and then all of a sudden just like last weekend here all of a sudden okay now it's mechanical doping and all of a sudden oh my god people are putting motors in their bikes um <laughs> were you as yeah upset as i was yeah i mean my god and really you need to discuss it i mean and i think that's a prime example and people are talking about oh well let's uh let's kick those people out Permanently. You yeah. Know? I mean, Eddie Merckx, I think, called for that. And uh, I agree with him. You do? But, okay. Uh, but uh, the, the thing they also need to be kicking people out for permanently is uh, when people are taking drugs. Because it's not going to change unless there are some real consequences. And there's been too many guys who... You know, it's been discovered. They've admitted it. They cheated for most of their careers, and they are, uh, you know, keeping their money. They're maybe they're in sports announcing now, or they've got grand fondos, or they're sponsoring teams. Yeah. And how do you say to young riders, you know, you shouldn't be taking drugs. You know, it's wrong to take drugs. And we have these people who've been longtime heroes of the sport, and and they got off scot free, and they're not being punished and they're still involved with the sport i i don't know how you make that point to the young young riders unless there's more consequences for those guys well it's a tough ticket to sell i agree with you um especially like you say when you know i don't know if we're gonna i'm gonna i'm not gonna call them bad guys because i've never been put into that position where i was hey either do this you know take this take this pill or whatever it was inject epo or um, go home and work at a McDonald's. You know, that's your choice. And I, I don't know if I could be the guy to make that decision. Well, I, you know, see, I'm not necessarily calling them bad guys. No, that's what I'm saying. Um, I'm not calling them bad guys what, either. What yeah. they're doing is wrong, and, I, and I'm not judging them. I mean, you know, things happen like that. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, who knows? Again, I'm glad I wasn't put in that position. But for the sake of our sport, yeah, we have to have consequences for the guys who go down that road. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise, you know, the sport can't get out from under that cloud. And again, you know, it comes back to me to the young riders. Yeah. You have to be able to tell to them, say to them, if you go down this road, there's going to be consequences and it's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The punishment needs to fit the crime. Exactly. Hey, so let's let's leave that behind. Where do you see the okay. sport of mountain bike riding heading? Um, do you see it continuing with the these shorter, quick races, longer races? I remember back uh, multiple, uh, almost like a festival style of a field where we would have all different types of events, kind of like you would see at Sea Otter or at Mammoth and things like that. Um, you get to go out and attend a lot of these events. Do you see a growth in a specific area? Well, a couple of things come to mind, and one specifically is is fat bike racing. Yeah, and it tends it tends to be more regional, and people you know who don't live in those regions a lot of time really really aren't exposed to it. But the fat bike Berkey, which happens up in Cable, uh, Wisconsin, is uh, is a race on a it happens in March. It's on a, a snowpack ski trail, and it sells out at over eight hundred riders. <laughs> And people don't realize that. And they're all, you know, the minimum tire size is 3.8 inches, right? <laughs> so everyone's riding, you know, 3.8 up to 5-inch tires. 
and it's, it's super competitive. So that kind of sport, that kind of fat bike racing on snow has, has been growing really quickly. There's a ton of races. Just last weekend, they had a, a big fat bike race in Crested Butte. They called themselves the World Championships, which I wish they hadn't. But it is a good race, and it had a it had a big field. It's a first year event, but USA Cycling is sanctioning a fat bike uh, national championship oh, wow. and stuff. So that's that's one area that the sport is growing. Another area is enduro racing, and that's really been exploding these past couple of years. And that's uh, you know that's all about riding trail bikes on on downhills on time segments and stuff like that so that's that's been popular too so those are two areas and uh i think well promoted events that whether they're marathons or ultra distance or 24 hours there's not many 24-hour races left but there's a few like uh 24 hours of the old pueblo yeah people who are promoting uh really quality events are still having success at those events. And Todd Sadow, who does Epic Rides, he uh, he runs the Whiskey 50. He runs that Pueblo 24-hour race. He also has a race he added in uh, Grand Junction, and now he's just added one in Reno this year. So, And those tend to be like 40, 50-mile uh, marathons. Wow. Well, you know, and I want to thank you for talking about fat bike racing because now I can play my wife this episode and force her to let me buy a fat bike because I have too many bikes as it is. But, you know, I I need at least one more. You can never have too many bikes. Absolutely. Well, that, <laughs> he who dies with most bikes wins. I am putting both of those quotes on my wife's nightstand immediately. Hey, um, so if you were to, you know, have a chance to do it all over again, relive the 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 career of of Ned Overend, um, would there be any changes? Would you go in a different direction? Would you have uh, said, oh, you know what, I'm I'm going to race downhill or <laughs> or something like that? No, I, I really don't have any regrets. You I, know, I, so. I love, uh, I'm psyched to be working for Specialized because I like so many disciplines of bicycling, and, and that allows me to pursue, you know, whether it's fat bikes or cross, of course, mountain bikes, road racing, some triathlon. So, and I'm still excited about it, you know. So I don't think back of things that I wanted to change because, you know, back in my career, I'm still so excited about it. I'm, I'm thinking more towards the future and, <laughs> and what kind of events I still want to do. What are the events you still want to do? Ah, let's see. I tell you, on my bucket list, and I'm not sure I'll ever do it, is <laughs> Escape from Alcatraz. Just oh. because that that swim is so intimidating, and I'm a weak swimmer, but and it's right in San Francisco. So that, that, to me, is like an iconic race that one of these days I would like to do. Um, yeah, maybe the... Uh, La Ruta down in in oh, uh, Costa man. Rica. That's a, a three day stage race that yeah. transverses the peninsula there. And it's just brutal. Um, yeah, just classic events like that. I I want to do more of Todd Sato's event, maybe the Whiskey Fifty or or uh, something like that. I like those distances. I don't really like to go hundred miles, but uh, but I like to do. You know, either shorter cross countries, one to one to two hours, or up to maybe fifty mile uh, mountain bike races, so marathon style. But there's a bunch of cool events out there. 
I read somewhere in an interview you stated something about the, the, the cool part of racing is, is getting out there and racing. It doesn't matter if you're necessarily racing for the first place or, or just battling with some guys in, in, in the middle of the field somewhere. And I think that's one of the cool things about, about what mountain biking still offers. Uh, road, uh, myself, I come from a road background. A lot of times you get dropped, your day's over. Um, I've always been a a fan of of sports that uh, that allow you to still be competitive even though you're not necessarily near the front and i think that's a great thing yeah plus in mountain bike racing you're uh a lot of it is kind of you're competing against the course yeah you know in fat bike racing it's the course and the elements but but in mountain bike racing it's so challenging right you don't have to have a bunch of people around you you know you just you're going maybe as fast as you can on different sections but uh you know, some of those sections take a lot of, you have to pay attention yeah. more than some of the others, but it is, it keeps it exciting for sure. So, I mean, there's, I, I, you know, it occurs to me like the Garda marathon in, uh, in Italy by Lake Garda. And it's, uh, that's an amazing event and races like that. People can travel to them or, you know, anywhere around the U S they're seeing a place They're They're seeing some of the best races, best trails in a certain area. Yeah. Okay, and that's one of the popular popularity for enduro racing. Oh man, I tr- people go and they they see some of the best trails in that specific area. Yeah, I I tried enduro and I I think my days of enduro are over just because I I I personally have to be at work on Monday and the hard crashes just just aren't going to work. <laughs> well, enduro is it's very dangerous. <laughs> it can be very dangerous. Now you, you really tell have me. You have to use some self-control. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. So I got to ask one last Here's question. Go, no, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I got to ask you this one. Um, you've been inducted into two halls of fame. Um, do you have to buy beer anywhere anymore? I mean, good I, God, I am fortunate to get some to get some free beers <laughs> in certain places, that's for sure. If nothing else, all those all those races have come in handy for that. Well, you sound pretty grounded, and that's what's killing me. It's like you've won all these world championships in multiple disciplines, uh, multiple national championships, two Hall of Fame inductees, and and you're easy to talk to. What's, what, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> well, I, I think it's just the nature of the sport, right? It's... Uh, because you can win all that, and you still might be rich in, in cycling, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're rich in experience. Exactly. And uh, no, it's pretty cool. For instance, I'm later this week. I'm going to fly down to New Zealand to do a mountain bike festival down there. I'm in New Zealand for a week to specialize, and then I'll be in Australia the week after that before coming back. So it's going to be cool. Those guys are so passionate about it. And, uh, I mean, I get to hang out with these people who are so passionate about mountain biking and that's a pretty cool, not just racing, but just riding. So that's, uh, I feel very fortunate. That's a pretty cool partnership to, to have had it. And you're still going strong with them and you've been racing with specialized for, oh my gosh, when did, when did you switch over to, when did you, I started in 88. With 88. So. Yeah. And then, and obviously it's, it, oh, everything's God, working like great. <laughs> well, well, awesome, man. Um, first of all, uh, well, second of all, last of all, uh, thank you very much for your time. I, I can't uh, say how much I appreciated having you on. I loved watching you race, and I still love uh, keeping up with the, the fact that you're still fit, and I, I'm not even close. Well, thanks. It's been, uh, it's been good talking to you, and you can always get more fit. 
<laughs> well, keep telling yourself that, even if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's the attitude. The attitude is important. Amen. <laughs> See? See? Cool guy, right? <sighs> Been going forever, and he's still got a positive attitude about it. By the way, I figured out how to tie my shoes. <laughs> I just put them, I put one foot, uh, I went to the stairs and I put one foot a couple steps up and I was able to kind of just lean forward enough just to get the job done. So I got my, sh- I got my shoes tied. Now I got to go to the store. I got to get a bunch of shit food for me, preferably with a boatload of preservatives just to make me more miserable, right? So I can't fit into the cycling kit when it comes in the spring. Speaking of which, you guys, um, I, I don't know if you follow uh, me on, on Twitter or on a Facebook page or something like that, um, but we are putting together a, 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 a pack filler cycling kit this year. Um, I've been talking to the people with Jack Rue Designs, and they have been um, doing some cool mock-ups for me of jerseys, bibs, arm warmers, uh, knee warmers. Um, if you want to take a look at them, um, do so. All right, I'm not in this to make a lot of money, but I'm in this to uh, to hopefully get some people out there riding with the logo on. I think it'd be kind of fun and and funny if you're riding in a field and it says Pack Filler on your jersey. That's the whole point. You're just that nameless guy in the middle of the pack. <laughs> so uh, go online, take a look at it. We got a kind of a cool black and 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 the lime green kind of a kit going right now. And and if you like one, uh, let me know. I'm we're going to be putting together. Uh, an order here soon and you will be able to log on to their website and order directly from them and it will come to you it will not come to me first it will go straight to you i'm going to order a fit kit first because my fat ass needs to know i have i have a a short legs and a long torso and so i need to figure out what fits you know and and if you don't do a fit kit you're just throwing cash away i had a our last team kit a couple of years ago, I, I, I just assumed I was going to get the right sizes, and it didn't work. It didn't work. The shorts were too tight, and the jersey was like a parachute. So I just looked like a complete douche in that kit, and so now I just hang it up. It's, I, I don't ride it anymore. So I'll let you guys know in terms of how everything fits, and if you want to get in on that, um, cool. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not out to make a profit on this, so if you, if you just want to represent the colors, um, by all means. And if you don't have a club to ride for, heck, I'll just sign us up with USA Cycling and you can become an official member. That's my gift to you. Keep the reviews coming on iTunes. Thanks, you guys. And um, uh, let me know if you have something, a uh, person you want to hear from on the show or a topic you want me to discuss. Patrick at packfiller.com is the email, or you can obviously go to Facebook or Twitter and talk to me there. That's it. I'm going to go watch the throw ball later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 